Hello everyone and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a Catholic youth missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. Can I just say, it's so good to be back. I missed this, I missed you guys. The last episode I was able to record and publish was way back in December. It was our special Christmas episode. And the reason why I was gone, I was gone for two months or at least one and a half months, The reason I was gone is because me and my wife, we had COVID the first week of January. Like a lot of people here in the Philippines, it was crazy. Thank God that it wasn't severe. We just had to stay indoors for two weeks and we had to, of course, strengthen our immune system and take care of ourselves, rest up. We want to thank those who offered their prayers for us, who gave us their support while we're going through that. We didn't really post about it, so some of you might be hearing about this for the first time. We didn't want to make it too public um, for the sake of, you know, not making too big of a deal of it anymore. But yeah, we're here. And after that, since, you know, school was halted for two weeks and I had to attend to returning back to our usual ministry stuff, work stuff, it took me a while before I could record the proper episode again. I had to catch up on a lot of things on work and stuff. And this is not me giving any excuses. This is me telling you about why I was gone. (laughs) So again, it's so good to be back. And for today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the story of Jonah. Okay, now hear this. If you grew up in a Catholic household, in a Christian household, or if you were, you were enrolled in a Catholic school growing up, you might already be familiar with the story of Jonah. And yes, he's the guy who gets eaten by the fish. It's not a whale. It's a fish. It's a big fish. But here's the thing. Even if you're not Christian, even if you're not Catholic, you might be familiar with this story. It's one of those stories that we use for kids. It's one of those stories that you might hear about from the Bible, one of those stories such as the parting of the Red Sea or Jesus walking on water. You don't necessarily have to be Christian for you to at least know about this story, at least from your periphery. And so I want to take some time to talk about that today. And the reason for that is because it's so easy to look at biblical stories like these and come to conclusions about what we think we already know about it without really digging deeper into it. Like I said, for some of us, we might have learned this from, say, a Christian children's storybook or something like that, or from school when you were having your CLE classes. And the way it was taught to kids is like this, you know, there's the story of Jonah. God sends him to this place or tells him to go to this place to preach, to preach God's word. But then Jonah does not obey. Jonah does not like the idea. And so he goes the other way, rides a boat, and heads on his way. And while he was going there, a storm comes in. He gets dropped overboard, gets eaten by a fish, talks with God while he's inside the belly of the fish. And then finally, after a while, decides to, okay, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do this. And then the fish spits him out where he was supposed to go in the first place. And then he starts preaching, obeying God, and then they live happily ever after. Oftentimes, this is how we tell the story of Jonah when we're talking to kids. And then we draw out the moral of the story. What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is when God tells you to do something, you do it. In other words, obey God 
or else. And that's how a lot of us hear stories like these, especially from the Old Testament. It's so easy to misunderstand them, to misinterpret them. But I do think, okay, here's what I think. I think that this story offers us so much wisdom, especially for our situation today, especially for our culture today, the way we look at each other, the way we treat each other, and the way we love our enemies. Yes, Jonah is about loving your enemies. And my hope is that in this quick study, this is sort of like a a brief Bible study that we're going to have together through Jonah. In this quick study, may we learn to see some of the things that maybe we weren't able to see before because of our preconceptions of this story. May God speak to us in a new way and point us toward life in the in our situation, through what this story tells us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Get ready. Let's begin. Okay, so the way we're going to go about this is I'm going to read to you certain passages from Jonah, from the book of Jonah in the Old Testament in scriptures. Um, Jonah is a very short story compared to the others that you find in the Old Testament. It's just four chapters. You can read it in one sitting. It wouldn't even take you 30 minutes to go through the entire thing. So what I'm going to do is I selected some parts and I'm going to read them to you. And then let's go through it. Let's study it. Let's learn it together. I'm going to give you some of my commentary and I'm going to give you some thoughts and maybe some things to think about also as we read Jonah. So let's begin with chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Set out for the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah made ready to flee to Tarshish, away from the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down in it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the Lord. The Lord, however, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and the storm was so great that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors were afraid, and each one cried to his God. To lighten the ship for themselves, they threw its cargo into the sea. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship and lay there fast asleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps this God will be mindful of us so that we will not perish. Then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots to discover on whose account this evil has come to us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us why this evil has come to us. What is your business? Where do you come from? What is your country, and to what people do you belong? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. As we begin trying to dig deeper into this story, it would help to give some cultural context, some cultural background for us to understand, okay, what was happening in Jonah's head, why was this the reaction, and what was the author of this book, this book of Jonah, what was he trying to 
What was he trying to impress upon the readers of the time? That's something that's very important to pay attention to when you're reading the scriptures. Because you see Jonah, he's identified here as a prophet, okay? And so as a prophet, he's, he wasn't just some random guy that God thought would be good to send somewhere to do something. It wasn't like that. It wasn't as if, you know, God just God just thought, now maybe, maybe it would be good to preach to these people. So let's just send some random person. It wasn't like that. Jonah's job, he was a prophet. It was his role to speak God's word to the people. And so God sends Jonah. Where does God send Jonah? God sends Jonah to this place called Nineveh. What do we know about Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And Assyria are enemies of the Israelites. They were not allies. They were foes. And we know that they were foes. And they were intense foes. They weren't just any other foe that Israelite, the, the Israelites faced. They were, they were some of the big baddies along with Babylon. You see, during this time, the Israel was split into the northern and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was taken over by Babylon and the northern kingdom was taken over by Assyria. This is where we get to the place in scriptures called the exile. They were taken out of their land when they were taken over by Assyria and Babylon. Why? Why? The purpose why they were taken out of their land is to disrupt their tradition, to disrupt their practice, to separate them from their cultural identity. It was, in a sense, it was some sort of ethnic cleansing. They wanted them to be separated from their land, to not be able to practice their faith, to not be able to make sacrifices in the temples, to not be able to, to hold on to their sense of identity as a people. That, that was why they were taken out by the Assyrians to a different land and the Babylonians as well. This is the part of scriptures where we can read about the stories of Daniel and the stories of Ezekiel. This is where that fits in. Now, let's talk more about the Assyrians, the Assyrians and the Ninevites. They were cruel. They were cruel. They knew how to torture people. They knew how to make examples of people who would disobey, who would not follow suit, who would not bend their knees. One of the things that they used to do, as we could read this in history, is they would skin people and make examples of them to show others what happens when you go against the flow, when you disobey. One of the things that they used to do is they would cut off people's heads and put them on pikes for people to see. And the people who would see this sometimes were people who knew these people because they wanted to show what happens. They wanted to, they wanted to be feared. And so Jonah, as an Israelite, is being sent to these people to preach repentance to them. That was what God was doing. And so Jonah, if, if you were an average Israelite reading this during that time, during ancient times, you would be on the side of Jonah. You wouldn't want Jonah to go to these. They were enemies. They were bad people. They were evil people. They weren't just political enemies, although they were. They weren't just military enemies, although they were. They were the type of enemies who would kill your family if they got the chance. They were the type of enemies who did these horrible things to your homeland and to your people. And why the heck would you want to help them? Why the heck would you want to preach God's word to them? If you were an average person during ancient times, an average Israelite, you would be on Jonah's side. And so Jonah understandably runs away. He runs to the other side because he didn't want 
to obey God. This is where we find the context of the story. This is what is happening in Jonah's head. He didn't want to serve the Ninevites. He didn't want to introduce God to the Ninevites, God's word to the Ninevites. And so he goes away. He runs away. And as he was running away, he gets onto a ship riding to this place called Tarshish. While they were on the way to Tarshish, what happens? A storm comes. Okay, a storm comes. And then you see these people in the ship who were operating the ship. And they were pagans. We know that they're pagans because they start pointing to each other and telling each other, pray to your God, pray to your God, pray to your God to save us, pray to your God to do something about this. What is happening? We need to figure this out. And while everything was taking place up top of the ship, you see Jonah underneath and he was sleeping. And so the captain comes to him and says, wake up. Can't you see what's happening? Pray to your God. Do something about it. We are about to die. And so Jonah goes up and then he reveals. People start asking him and then he reveals. I am a Hebrew. That's what we read a while ago. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, when we're reading Jonah, this is an essential part of the experience, okay? When we're reading Jonah, it's helpful to understand that what we're reading is a form of satire. What we're reading is a form of comedy. It's not meant to be taken all seriously. How do we know this? We know this because everything is extravagant. Everything is massive. Everything is bombastic. Huge storm. Huge fish. Huge city. That's how it's described. We just don't see it in this way because oftentimes when we read scriptures, we, we don't expect something fun out of it. We expect something serious and solemn and all of that. And the Bible can be like that. And it is like that for certain purposes, for very important purposes. But you see, the way Jonah is written is that it's meant to be fun. And how do we know? It's full of these, these seeming contradictions based on their character. Because you have a prophet who is supposed to declare the word of the Lord. But what happens? He chooses not to. He runs away from God. The prophet's role is to declare the word of the, of the Lord. But yet he runs away. And then you see these pagans who do not know God, and yet they are the ones who are asking the prophet to pray. Could you imagine? It's the complete opposite. It's an inversion of what you would expect because oftentimes you would expect the prophet to tell the other people to pray to God, to go to him, to do something about it. And yet we see an inversion of roles because it was Jonah who was running away. He was the one who was being told by these other people to pray to his God. And what does he say? He says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea. Who made the sea? And where was he trying to run away? He was trying to run away by sea. He knew that God made the seas and yet he was running away by path of the sea. It doesn't make sense. Or maybe he doesn't fully realize what he's doing. Here he was. It's crazy. It's funny if you think about it. What was what's happening here? And then let's read onward, okay? Because it gets better. Jonah chapter one verses ten to sixteen. This is what it says. Now the men were seized with great fear and said to him, "How could you do such a thing?" They knew that he was fleeing from the Lord because he had told them. They asked, "What shall we do with you that the sea may calm down for us?" For the sea was growing more and more stormy. 
Jonah responded, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will calm down for you. For I know that this great storm has come upon you because of me. Still, the men rowed hard to return to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more stormy. Then they cried to the Lord, Please, O Lord, do not let us perish for taking this man's life. Do not charge us with shedding innocent blood, for you, Lord, have accomplished what you desired. Then they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Seized with great fear of the Lord, the men offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, it's the pagans that we see who are worshipping the Lord. Not just any god, not just their god, but the Lord. That's how it's written here. That's how it's described in this passage. The Lord. When you open your English Bibles, you might find one way of writing down the term the Lord. You might find it in, in small caps, as in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But the O-R-D is smaller than the L. It's in all caps. And that is kind of a sign. That is a way of writing down God's name in the scriptures. And that wasn't just any random Lord or any, or any random God. That that word is meant to indicate that what is being referred to is Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham and Jacob. This was the Lord that we knew, that we know. And so here we see pagan people worshiping the Lord, a prophet being thrown overboard because he didn't want to obey God. How crazy could this get? And Another thing that I'd like to point out also is that when you go to the other prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah, when you go and read their works, you will find the prophecy itself. It says, thus says the Lord. And then there is this poetry that follows after, which describes or, or tells about what God is saying through this prophet. But in Jonah's story, you don't find that. You don't find that. You just find what happens to Jonah. You just find the story of Jonah. And after he was thrown overboard, you know what happens after he was eaten by a big fish. And he stays in that fish for three days. Within that fish, he enters into prayer. He talks to God about it. We see a poetic style prayer as well in chapter 2. I'll give you time to read about it on your own, but we won't be reading it out loud here for the sake of time. But Jonah prays and he gives this sort of a half-hearted submission to God. Okay, fine. And then talks about, talks about the sovereignty of God. And then when he was ready, what the fish does is the fish spits Jonah out into the dry land in Nineveh where he was supposed to go in the first place. And we're tracking so far, right? We're tracking so far with where the kids' stories go. Okay, now let's read from chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. What does it say? It says, So Jonah set out for Nineveh in accord with the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an awesomely great city. It took three days to walk through it. Jonah began his journey through the city, and when he had gone only a single day's walk, announcing, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and all of them, great and small, put on sackcloth. 
again, what we read here are some of, some stuff that we wouldn't expect from the scriptures. It's it's really meant to be funny. Jonah arrives in Nineveh. Okay, the first description of Nineveh: awesome, great city. It takes three days to walk through it. How many days does Jonah walk? Jonah walks for one day and so he has got around one third of the city not even the entire thing and that is if he was walking on a regular pace because he might be slowing down because he was hesitant he was reluctant to even do this in the first place and what does he say what does he preach this is what he says 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown no mention of God no mention of the Lord no mention of repentance. No mention of what they're supposed to do to avoid this. He just says, 40 days and it's gone. It's over. It's a done deal. It was a lazy sermon. It was one of the worst sermons that you will find, in my opinion, in the Old Testament. This was what, what, this was, what was happening. It was so crazy. If you go to the original Hebrew, this was a five-word sermon. He just repeated the same five words. I, I imagine him repeating the same five words everywhere he goes for that one day. Even though it takes three days to go around the city, he really didn't want these people to be saved. As in, he, he, first he runs away and now he preaches a lazy sermon and doesn't even tell them how to get away or how to be saved from this being overthrown, from this destruction. He just says, 40 days and it's done. It's over. But then what happens? Then we see this notoriously sinful city, notoriously cruel city. What happens? What happens? How did they respond? They proclaimed a fast and all of them, great and small, put on sackcloth. That was a sign of lamentation. That was a sign of grieving over your past sins and your current situation and returning to the Lord. It was an act of repentance. And right after this, in verses 6 to 9, we read about the king. The king hears about Jonah and the king gives out a decree. He repents for himself and then he gives out a decree that every person in Nineveh should repent. And then in, in, in verse 8, there's even a funny part here. It says in verse 8, Man and beast alike must be covered with sackcloth and call loudly to God. They all must turn from their evil way, from the violence of their hands. Did you see that? Man and beast alike, even the cows had to repent. These are things that we don't see when we read it in, in, in children's books. Okay? And when, 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 we, when we talk about this story normally, we, didn't, we, didn't, we don't talk about the cows repenting. But that was meant to be funny. That was meant to be an exaggeration. That was meant to be great big city, great big fish, great big storm. And then here we see cows repenting. How crazy can this get? And this is what happens, okay? In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw by their actions how they turned from their evil way, he repented of the evil he had threatened to do to them. He did not carry it out. And so thus, this cruel city had a change of heart and they turned toward the Lord and the Lord repented and did not destroy this city anymore. And this is the part where most children's books end. And this is the part where we say, okay, what was the moral of the story? Obey God. Follow the Lord. Do not delay or else he's going to send a big fish to eat you. Maybe. <laughs> I guess there, there is some truth into that. Okay, I'm just trying to say this in a funny way to, to try to drive a point. There is some truth into that. Okay, that when we disobey God, 
things go bad, things go haywire. And oftentimes, a lot of the a lot of the problems and the struggles that we go through, that we experience in our lives, is in part because of the sins that we commit, because of our unfaithfulness, because of our disobedience. That is true in part, not wholly, in part, okay? So there is some truth into this claim that we should follow the Lord, we should listen to Him, we should obey. But to merely stop with that message does a disservice to this story. To merely stop at that message even paints an image of God that is maybe not too favorable for a lot of us here today. That we see this, this seeming tyrant that you have to follow, that you have to obey, or else things will go wrong in your life. It's as if he was forcing Jonah. It's as if Jonah had no choice. But that's not what is being told here. That is not the point of this story. There's a reason why everything is bombastic. There is a reason why everything is massive. There is a reason why the story does not end here. Because there is one more chapter in Jonah. There is Jonah chapter 4. And man, chapter 4 has got to be the best part of this this entire thing. Of course, it's the conclusion. It, it wouldn't make sense if you didn't read the first three chapters. But chapter 4 is the best part because it does a great job of, of putting together all of the themes and the message of the story and, and expressing it in a very beautiful, poetic way. And so let's read. Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 to 4. But this greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled at first toward Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, repenting of punishment. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord asked, Are you right to be angry? Now here we see a prophet prophet who was supposed to preach repentance to God's people, was supposed to preach the word of the Lord, not wanting to do it from the very beginning, and does it reluctantly. But when the people that he was speaking to, when they start repenting, when his enemies start turning their hearts toward the Lord, he wasn't happy about it. He was displeased. He was angry. He was upset. Because he didn't want these people to be saved. And what does he tell God? He says, this is why I fled. This is why I ran away. I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, repenting of punishment. And if you read those descriptions, those are all good descriptions. In fact, that line, gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, so on and so forth, that line is one of the most quoted lions to describe God in the Old Testament. It starts in Exodus chapter 34 when God reveals himself to Moses. He is a gracious and merciful God. But how does Jonah look at this? He says, I knew that you were gracious and merciful. I knew that you would forgive these bad people and I didn't want you to. I didn't want you to. This is why I did not want to go here because I knew that you were so forgiving kind, good, and loving. 
You see, the message of Jonah is much more profound than just obey God or else. The message of Jonah is, can you really handle how loving God is? Have you any idea that he is a God who loves his enemies? Sure, it feels good when we are on the receiving side of that love. When, the, when we are the enemy, being loved by God, being forgiven by God, we like it, we enjoy it, we worship him for it. But can you handle it when the people that you hate, when the people that you look down to, when the people who may have even abused or hurt you in the past, when you see the truth that God loves them too and that God wants to call them in as well. This is the message of Jonah. And so what happens after this is he left. He left and went east. He built a hut and waited. And this is what the text says. It says he waited to see what would happen to the city. It was as if he was hoping that, that Nineveh would still turn back to their sinful ways, away from the Lord. By then, maybe they would still get destroyed. He was waiting. He was waiting. And while he was waiting, God provides a plant, a gourd plant. And it grows, and Jonah appreciates the shade. But what happens after that? God sends worms, and the, worm, the worms eat the plant, and the plant dies. And because of the plant died, Jonah no longer had shade. And what does Jonah say? Jonah says, it is better for me to die than to live. And this is how Jonah ends, the very last passage. Jonah chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry over the gird plant? Jonah answered, I have a right to be angry, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned over the gird plant which cost you no effort and which you did not grow. It came up in one night and in one night it perished. And should I not be concerned over the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot know their right hand from their left, not to mention all the animals? And this is how it ends. It ends with a question. God asked Jonah, you are concerned over this thing that you had no hand in helping take place and helping do. You didn't have any part in it. And yet, should I not be concerned over this people who do not know their right from their left, who are very confused, who are doing harm to themselves and to others in the process? Should I not be concerned over them? That is how it ends. You see this funny story, funny bombastic story gives quite a punch. <laughs> it's very profound. It's very deep and there's so much into it. And the problem sometimes is that we miss this message because we see these stories and we think we already know what they say. You know, because we live in this country where a lot of people are Catholics, a lot of people are Christians, and we grow up reading these stories and we think we already know what the Bible teaches. We think we already know what these stories tell. But if we are willing to open ourselves and to humble ourselves and to allow it to speak its true message, there's so much more that it could speak even to our very situations today. Because let me ask you this, how many people do you see right now who are straight on hating their enemies? not wanting them to be, quote-unquote, saved, not wanting what is good for them, but rather wanting to condemn them and to cast them aside. This is something that Jesus teaches about later on when we, when we get to the Gospels. 
In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, it says, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father, for he makes the sun rise on the bad and the good and causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How many Christians do you see, Filipino Christians do you see, who are doing that right now in this election season? There are some, but not much. It seems like we're allowing this hatred to take over our hearts, and it's corrupting us. I'm not saying, okay, because some people might hear this and because and, we have different opinions about politics here in the country, about good and bad and what's right and not right and justice and all of these things. Okay, okay, that's meant for an episode in itself. That's another conversation in itself, okay? And I'm not saying that it's bad to point these things out when it's true. I'm not saying that it's bad to point out the bad when it really is bad. However, when we do point out the bad in others, what are we trying to do exactly? Are we pointing it out so that they could be called back in, so that their hearts would be turned toward the Lord? Or are we pointing it out for us to feel better about ourselves because we think we're better than them, because we think we're morally superior, because we think we are the ones who will be, again, quote-unquote, saved like Jonah thought about himself in the Ninevites. Don't get me wrong, the Ninevites were bad people. They were evil people. They were terrible. They were cruel. Jonah had reasons to want them not to be saved. But the truth about God and God's call for Israel is that Israel was supposed to be the blessing to the nations. God would bless Israel so that Israel would pass on that blessing to others. And in the same way, maybe God is blessing you right now and is filling you up right now because he, you are meant to overflow to others also. The way of the Christian is to call others to repent, not to condemn them, not to cast them aside. Are we doing this? This ancient story is speaking so much truth into our present, our present situation. But do we allow ourselves to hear to listen, to see how God might be inviting His people to love their enemies. Again, in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 39, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, who were hostile to Jesus, said to Him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. What does Jesus say? He said to them in reply, An evil and unfaithful generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it, Except the sign of Jonah. Except the sign of Jonah the prophet. What is the sign of Jonah the prophet? He was in the belly of the fish for three days. And then Jesus goes on to say that in the same way, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. He was pointing toward the crucifixion, his death on the cross, which will end in the resurrection, his rising from the tomb. What, are, what do we see in Jonah's story? We see repentance happening through his obedience. And in the same way, through Jesus' obedience, doors are opened for us to repent. Repentance becomes a way for his people, for us. And the major difference is this, that Jesus was willing to do it for his enemies from the very beginning, unlike Jonah. 
unlike Jonah. He was willing to love his enemies. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, For Christ, while we were still helpless, yet died at the appointed time for the ungodly. Indeed, only with difficulty does one die for a just person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even find courage to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus invites us to love our enemies. But he was the first one to do it. Enemies, quote-unquote. Because when we became, when we fell, when we became sinners, our hearts were turned away from the Lord and it caused immense suffering and pain to ourselves and to the people around us. And yet Jesus goes after us. He goes after us. And as we go after him, as we follow him in response to his going after us, as our hearts become molded more and more into his likeness, we are invited to love the very people in the same way, the very people that we call our enemies. And so how are we doing that today? Can you handle how loving God really is? And perhaps this is something that's meant to be reflected on for a longer period of time. This is not an easy thing to think about, to consider, and to allow to sink into our hearts. And I would invite you, my invitation for you is to, is to read this story. Read this story again, maybe within the week. Reflect on it. Pray about it. Bring it to God in prayer. Discern what is in your heart. Try to listen to what God is revealing to you, what He is speaking to you. And let's respond from there. Let's enter into His presence in prayer and in the sacraments if you could do that. If you could go to confession or to the Holy Mass, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. This is the profound story of Jonah and how it points toward the sacrifice and the doors that were opened by Jesus in His obedience. In His obedience. And that is it for our episode today. I hope you found this helpful and fruitful. If you did, please do help us out by giving us a rating on Spotify, on Apple, on whatever platform you're using to listen to this. Give us a rating, five stars if you think we deserve it. That helps a lot for other people to discover this this podcast and so that they could be connected here as well. I am so happy that you are here. We have a Facebook group also called Not So Secular Discussions and Questions. I'm going to put the link in the description if you want to join that. Share with me your thoughts also. I have an Instagram. It's also in the description at Rizmon Reyes, R-I-Z-M-O-N-R-E-Y-E-S. If you have some thoughts about this episode, you want to share them, you want to talk to me about them, the best way to reach me is through Instagram. Give me a follow as well. If you think that would be great, I think that would be great. I am happy to be back here. I'm going to do some sort of a follow-up next week to this episode so that we could continue to understand further. Um, it's not going to be about Jonah, it's going to be about the Pharisees. Okay, let's take some time to understand who the Pharisees were. And if they really were, quote-unquote, enemies. Okay, I want to share with you a, a, a conversation that I had with someone about this. And I am excited. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. I hope all the best for you in the remaining days of the week. God bless. See you next week. Bye. Bye.